Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. In this episode, we speak with Dr. Carolyn Steele, an engineer with the ice hockey company Bowers. We talk about working for big and small sports engineering companies and her current role in hockey stick development. For more information, remember to check out our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com, and follow us on Twitter at SportsTechPod. Enjoy! Hello and welcome to the Sports Technology Podcast. This is Henry and and Mike. <laughs> and uh, joining us today, we have Dr. Carolyn Steele. Um, she graduated from Loughborough, which is where we are right now. So we're um, glad to have the opportunity to catch up with her some years down the line. She's still in the sports industry. So Carolyn, first of all, welcome. Thank you. And uh, would you like to start by introducing yourself by way of a, a brief um, professional biography? Sure. Um, thanks for having me. Yeah, I graduated from the the sports tech program in Loughborough in 2006, and I've since spent time at Nike, and I'm currently a product developer with Bauer Hockey. So I've kind of made the tour through the sports industry um, as an en- and have an engineering background, and now work kind of on the development side and do a little bit of everything. Ah, very good. So what what got you interested in sports technology? You said you had a more of an engineering background. Yeah, you know, actually, I kind of have a funny story about how I ended up at Loughborough because I am uh, I am American, and so you know it can be tough. You know, the the program at Loughborough is such a unique program, and the and the way it combines kind of engineering and sporting good. But you know, the the summer of my junior year, I was I had an engineering internship, and I was doing like I think it was a proto a test stand for like a, a torque damping spacer for the power transmission industry, something so dry. And I remember just sitting in that cube being bored out of my mind. And it was kind of the first time I had, I was like, man, what the heck am I doing with my career, with my life? And kind of the first time I had thought about it. And I've kind of, I've been an athlete my entire life. I played a couple sports at at university, field hockey and ice hockey. And, you know, growing up played just, just about anything. Chasing, if there was something to chase after, I was probably chasing after it. So kind of throughout that internship, I remember just going to Google one day and, I typed in engineering and sports because those were the two things I like to do. And, and the program at Lepra at that time, um, this was probably back in about 2002, was actually the the first hit on Google search. And so I was like, oh, clicked on the link and got in touch um, with the program. I was able to, to turn that into an opportunity to go over and study for my Ph.D. and kind of worked out great. So I think you know, it was the ability to combine two things uh, I really enjoyed doing um, and certainly a lot more fun than... And then some other some some other engineering opportunities that can sometimes be a little dry, at least in my perspective. What was your project once you once you got into sports? What was your first sports engineering project? My my PhD research was a partnership with Dunlop Sausinger Tennis on tennis ball degradation, and it was kind of a you know I was lucky in the sense I got to I got to kind of shape the project where I wanted it to go, and ended up spending about half my time doing performance measures, so anything from wind tunnel aerodynamic testing, a lot of impact stuff in the lab, and probably about the other half doing player testing, anything from performance and feel and aesthetics. So I was lucky that 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 pro, that tennis ball project came gave me the real flexibility to see kind of all sides of the industry just from the lab side and as well as the athlete side that is equally important in terms of you know producing great products and so guys i guess just continuing on the timeline theme so you finished up in Loughborough, and then did you directly go to Nike after that, or was there another transition? Yeah, there's about a five or six month break. Um, you know, as I kind of moved back to the states and started my job hunt, um, and you know, I got lucky with Nike. I 
I didn't necessarily have a strong network within the sporting goods industry. You know, I came from a small town, didn't didn't necessarily network a ton in college. And back, I don't know, back when I was going to school, it was just, you know, I was too busy playing sports, having a good time that I would actually, I just, Nike actually had an opening that was a really good fit for my skill set. You know, a few months after I got back and I applied and was kind of got through that big, that big brick wall at Nike, but kind of worked my way in that way. What were your uh, projects like at Nike? So, uh, I was brought in as part of uh, a member and I think the team, you know, there's since been a reorganization of the team, but it was part of the Advanced Innovation Equipment Group. So it was all kind of soccer balls, shin guards, baseball bats, you know, anything that, that wasn't apparel or footwear. Um, and they were looking to, to start up a test, lot, test lab, anything from standardized performance tests. You know, soccer ball shin guards have a lot of that standardized testing, standardized specs that they have to meet, as well as general, more advanced, you know, athlete insight type all lab-based testing. Um, so it was kind of brought in there to help jumpstart that that lab and get that going and kind of integrated into development and innovation processes. So a little bit, a lot of lot of lab work for sure. That's good. So that ties in a lot with a lot of the types of testing you were doing during the PhD as well. Yeah, and I, you know, and I think you know, I was I think one of the things I'm starting to appreciate going through that PhD program is. You know, the ability, the stories I can tell about the, you know, the five or six people that, that sat around me and the things I was able to learn from them, that knowledge and that understanding of the type of work they were doing what has been just as useful to me as my own work, um, you know, because you, you're always jumping, you're always pulling things from different industries, different sports, you know, because so much about the sports engineering field, it's it's not written on paper, it's not well defined. So I think that experience, my time at Luckbar really allowed me to kind of pick things from, you know, the golf industry, you know, soccer balls, anything and everything and kind of shape that that I was able to use at Nike and have, have definitely used at Bauer where hockey, you know, the, the published literature on hockey sticks is even less so than, than soccer balls and and chin guards, as you can imagine. So that's been very useful for me. With Nike, it's a massive company. So how does, like, how is their innovation kind of set up? Is it very compartmentalized or is there a lot of kind of cross-collaboration between some of the groups and how did that all work and what was your experience like there? Um, yeah, you know, I had a fantastic experience. Um, there's a lot of cross-collaboration. Um, you know, I think the one thing Nike is able to do well is because of their size, they are able to bring in you know, true experts in a lot of different fields. And so when the people you're able to work with are true experts in, you know, whatever their particular area of expertise, whether it be rapid prototyping or, you know, product creation or whatever their particular expertise is, but, you know, you know, with the NSRL and the sports lab and, and so the, the types of water cooler conversations you have with, you know, are some real, you know, world leading experts in these various fields that then, you know, that's where the good ideas come from, are those water cooler conversations of what about this, what about this, and as you kind of mold and shape those ideas into something new. But, you know, the, it is a, it's a big company, but they, they, there are truly some remarkable people that can do some amazing things. So now uh, Bauer, a bit different, a bit smaller, perhaps a bit more specialized. What are your main tasks um, at Bauer? And, you know, the interesting thing about Bauer is... Um, Nike actually owned Bauer back in and actually sold Bauer back in 2008. And that's about the time I switched over, actually, about the time the sale was going through. So there is a lot of that Nike culture within Bauer, which has made the transition a little easier for me. There are probably three main things that I work on. One is kind of seasonal product development. So that's anything, you know, that's products that are generally about, 
you know, a 12 month timeline, um, getting, you know, getting products to market. And that's, and that's working with elite athletes, product testing, you know, taking a product brief and turning that into a validated product for the market. So that's incorporating new technologies, working with athletes, working with suppliers and vendors. And that, you know, that's interesting. Composite, you know, I work with composite ice hockey sticks and there's a lot of invisible technology there. So that's from a seasonal development. That's, you know, I'd like to say it's one third of what I do, but it certainly takes up a good chunk of my time. The other things I also do a lot with our innovation strategy, strategy and agenda simply because of my background and my, you know, I'm so used to working with advanced testing. Um, so we have a, we have a partnership with McGill University and their biomechanics lab. So, you know, I kind of drive a lot of our partnerships with kind of master students as we look to gain insight into player mechanics and product, you know, product dynamics as the product's being used, as well as anything we're doing in the lab. And, you know, it's funny when you're in a small company, suddenly having the, the skill set to be able to do everything from be a seasonal developer to, to program. And, you know, I have everything from FEA, vibration, strain gauges, new lab equipment. I have kind of new protocols, existing equipment, you know, kind of all that stuff floating across my desk uh, on any one get one day. So that's where kind of Having a background and a pretty good familiarity with a lot of different things has come in handy. And then probably the the third thing I do is I work cross-functionally quite a bit with our marketing, sales, supply chain in terms of, you know, communicating and making sure, because our actually our R&D team, we're actually located in Saint-Jerome, Quebec, but our, our main office is actually down in Exeter, New Hampshire. So there's a lot of communication that needs to be done in terms of establishing you know, what we actually want from a product, what does the sales team want, what is, you know, the marketing team feel they can do, how do we get that product made for the right cost on time. And so I do a lot of work um, communicating cross-functionally to make sure all those different roles have what they need from the development team and the development team has what we need from all those different roles in terms of forecasting and planning. And That's that's quite a lot of variety there, never a dull, dull moment Yes. No, I, th I think that's true. So you're saying that there's a lot of invisible technology behind the, the hockey sticks, uh, I think is your words, but what, what sorts of, what are the main areas or, or fields of engineering or science that are, are present or that you deal with when you're developing these sticks? You know, material and mechanical engineering are pretty straightforward. Um, we actually pull a lot of our technology from the aerospace industry. Um, because that's where you're getting the new resin ideas, the new fibers, um, the new core materials. So those are probably the, you know, materials, mechanical and aerospace are probably where we pull our, our, our information from the most often from, comp from a composite side. Okay, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big hockey fan. So like watching a lot of these games, like, is it your worst nightmare when you see a, hit, a stick break and you're just kind of crossing your fingers and hoping it's Bauer or do Bauer sticks never break? Or like, what is that <laughs> like the main kind of issue that you guys are working towards is um, durability or kind of balancing that with how well it flexes and gives? The, yeah, the it's, it's certainly it's certainly a balance because athletes will always want a lighter stick. And, you know, we get a lot of our insights from working with pro athletes and you know, they, they, pro athletes actually don't care much about durability. You know, they certainly don't want this, you know, to be breaking a stick every shift when they're on the ice, but, you know, they, they want the best performing, lightest stick possible. And, you know, that, those needs certainly change and evolve, you know, when you get into more of an NCAA market or a retail market. You know, so for us, it, it's, you know, cause we can, you know, we can make a more durable stick. We'll just keep adding weight, right? And it'll, it'll, 
the performance won't, wouldn't be where we would like it to be. Um, so it's constantly trade-offs and, you know, we test, we test, you know, over a thousand sticks a year as we go through our development process because that's the best way is to get sticks in game action and see what they do. Um, because sometimes no matter how well you try to plan for it or test for it in the lab, you never, you know, a guy might block a shot at a weird angle and something funny may happen that's surprising. So we, we do a lot. We focus on that balance because there's a lot you can do from kick points, uh, kind of a little like golf clubs, how you can have low kick or mid kick golf clubs and have that stiffness in different place along the shaft. We do a lot of that same thing with hockey sticks. So we have mid kick sticks and low kick sticks and, and to change those kick points, you know, requires a lot of engineering and design behind it. And we want to make sure we have the kick point in the right place for the right players and, that it's responding in the right way for wrist shots and slap shots and one timers. So, you know, there's a whole performance, you know, in the puck feel, you know, you kind of get all these performance variables play a pretty big role. And then you have to balance that with making sure the durability is where the consumer would like it to be. So like a sport like baseball that also uses a lot of carbon fiber and, and things like that, when new materials like that get introduced, are there industry or maybe league standards that you guys have to abide by for hockey? Are there certain tests that are required for new, uh, new sticks not, or anything? Not for sticks. I know there are for, you know, helmets and protective gear. For baseball, you know, for baseball and kind of like baseball bats and golf driver heads with that, you know, coefficient of restitution testing and performance enhancement, you know, especially with composite bats, that's certainly been a big concern as they've kind of had to re revamp their certification process. But for, but for sticks, I mean, there's general, I think the, the rules of hockey have like general length and height requirements and blade dimensions. But other than that, we're pretty much given a blank sheet, which, which is a lot of fun in terms of design freedom and what we can do with a stick. You know, even with curves, there used to be a standard on, you know, how much curvature you could have in the blade. But even those, you know, are, are getting loosened up a little bit and, and players are certainly getting creative. Now that's not just a wood blade and a blowtorch. You know, a lot of the pro guys will have some pretty creative curves on their on their blades that that are really interesting for us to see where the game is headed. Do the players, uh, elite players, do they get customized sticks? Do they tell you exactly what they want? And, and I don't know. I guess the sponsored players do they do they get customized sticks, or are, are there enough variations within? Nope, uh, they they all get custom, and usually it, it focuses around custom patterns. And you know, I mean, I think our, our retail patterning, our retail pattern offering might be at about eight. Um, but the hard thing with sticks is, you know, it becomes very tough to provide everything to everybody at retail because then retailers have to bring in, you know, we have different shaft stiffnesses, different patterns, and you know, a retailer can't simply stock everything. So from a consumer and retail level, we certainly we have to be conscious of what we're offering just to make sure, you know, we try to offer the right depth and breadth to make sure anything anybody wants is in, is available in store. Um, but the pro guys, you know, whether they're evolving from wood sticks or, you know, little things that they like for their game, um, they certainly all have custom patterns. And, you know, some of them might be using, you know, if we introduce a new stick and, you know, they actually may really like the blade construction from last year. And so sometimes they're a little picky about you know, whether they may not want to make that change right away. So we're a little flexible with making sure we deliver to them what they're looking for. And that, that actually serves as a great learning tool for us of, of what those guys are looking for. You know, those are the best players in the world from, from the custom product we serve. So it's a great opportunity for us to see the trends that are happening at that level and to 
We have great relationships. Our team sales reps and we have some custom stick guys in-house that have great relationships with those guys and have pretty in-depth conversations about why they like certain patterns, you know, rocker on the heel, you know, the twist and the toe and and why all these little, you know, tips and tricks, um, maybe something we want to keep our eye on going forward and maybe something we bring to retail. So we certainly give those guys as, as much of a blank sheet as we can to try to learn from them. Are pretty much 100% of the sticks now composite? Are there any, is there anyone doing wood or is it that kind of, that technology? Uh, I, bl- I believe sure, I, there are still a few companies making wood. Um, I believe Sherwood is, um, but you know, the, the performance, the performance level with composites and you know, even the cost of sourcing wood product is actually the, you know, the cost of producing a composite stick is almost more efficient, uh, for a lot of companies to do. And I think the performance, you know, I think early on with the early on, you know, composite sticks have had a pretty big evolution over the last 10 to 15 years. And I think the performance level and the technology, you know, probably even in our low end stick, right now is probably the similar to what was, you know, probably an elite stick 10, 15 years ago from a composite side. So I think the technology has evolved enough that um, composites are pretty prevalent. But there are still a few companies out there making wood sticks. Is there uh, a holy grail or, or some sort of uh, maybe gold standard that some some destination that you're trying to reach with development? Or is it is it kind of a, a an evolving process of of catering to the athletes? Uh, I think it's an evolving process. You know, our challenge is we're taking, you know, high-tech te- technology from aerospace, talking about new resin systems, new new core materials and foams, new fibers, new weaves, you know, all sorts of new materials and, and trying to relate that and translate that into when a player says, you know, that stick feels good or that, that stick has great puck feel. Well, what does that mean exactly? So, so we, the athletes are kind of you know, every time we come up with something new, the athletes will kind of change, you know, change their game and adapt their game and start to evolve a little differently and then eventually want something else. So, you know, from a development side, like we certainly have ideas where we we, we think we should go, but it's, you know, I think one of the most important things you can do is keep your eyes and ears open and, and pay attention um, because it'd be foolish for me to think I knew exactly where sticks needed, you know, because weights, you know, weight isn't isn't the only thing we're going after there's the balance of the stick making sure it's not too blade heavy or too shaft heavy making sure the puck feel you know so there's a lot of different variables that come into play so probably the most important thing is keeping your eyes and ears open and being being able to zig and zag as to make sure you have the the best product possible on the market great so lots of scope for future development thank you very much carolyn it's been a, a good conversation i think we both learned a lot are there any websites or blogs or or Twitter feeds you'd like to direct our listeners to for more information about Sure. Um, well, if you you can certainly find Bauer at uh, Bauer.com, and I, and I believe we also have a Twitter feed. I don't know our handle offhand, but I, I know our marketing team does a great job uh, putting out updates uh, on Twitter through Bauer Hockey as well. And a lot of, you know, some of the guys, I don't know if you follow, if you're a hockey fan, there's some certainly fun players to, to follow on Twitter that are always entertaining. So I recommend uh, recommend some of those guys as well. And that is the episode. Thank you, Carolyn. And thanks, listeners, for listening. For more information and some of the links we mentioned, go to our website, sportstechnologypodcast.com. And remember to follow us on Twitter at Sports Tech Pod. Thanks. Bye.